you're not normally with us. You heard five verses and you were like, great, this will be a short sermon. But we're also going to read two whole chapters of Psalm today that are right in the middle of there. I think a lot of us relate to David right here this morning. And uh, here's where I want us to start, because I think as I say we relate to David, uh, sometimes we don't understand God's timetable when we could try to compare it to our timetable. Anybody struggle with patience in the room? Almost all of us. I'm going to be honest. My patience level is so bad sometimes, I struggle at red lights. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just being honest and up front. There are times I'm just like, I ain't got time for a red light. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I got to go and I got to get wherever I'm going. Just patience isn't isn't always a strong thing. So, so I prayed about it. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. <laughs> and I hadn't got it yet. So I'm still waiting. But uh, it's coming. It's coming. What I realized this week in reading and studying, really for the last two weeks, which is why I got off on, on some of the, the chapters in Psalm, is God is often more interested in what we're learning in the meantime on the process to get to what he's promised us to get to. See, where we get today, this, this is one of two or three times that David is going to be stuck in a cave. But we've been reading for, for weeks, really months, that David's supposed to be in the palace. And I don't know if, if, if you guys can relate with David sometimes, but sometimes I read a lot of God's word and I'm like, all right, I got all these promise, these palace promises. Why am I still stuck in the cave? And that maybe that's because of my lack of patience. Or maybe that's because of my lack of understanding or or whatnot. But but we need to ask ourselves when we get like that, how do we personally deal with the delays that God puts in our life? Notice I said, how do we not? How should we? I think we'd all be quick to open our Bible and take notes and put down all the little happy hunky dory things that, that us Christians are supposed to do. But how do we? And I ask that in the beginning because if we're not going to be upfront with ourselves and with Christ about how we're really doing in this area, he's not going to be able to change us in this area. See, the very first thing we got to acknowledge is that we've got a problem in this area. You, you don't get help without addressing that there's a, there's a problem. So, so we got to understand it. Maybe some of you guys are way better and, and you just deal with God's delays great or, or, or whatnot. But some of us in the room, like David, we struggle with delays. And, and we got problems with that. And even for good reasons. You know, something as simple as, as a mission trip. It's coming in March. I bet they wish March was tomorrow. You know, when God gets that hunger on you, like you're, you, you want to be there. You know, one of the, one of the things Harry said, the most exhausted I'd ever seen Harry, the first Wednesday he had came back. Right after traveling for 40 hours, I think it was huge delays on the on the trip home uh, a few weeks ago. And he said, I can't wait to go back. But he, but he said it and you're like, you're looking at him. You're like, there's no way he means what he's saying. Harry, you don't know. You don't know what you're asking, man. Like, you're, but it, but he did like that, the heart and that passion that God has placed on us to do certain things. Sometimes it makes us get a little too excited to want to get places when we just need to sit back and let God do what God's doing. And like I said, even red lights, because I don't think sometimes it's the major delays that we struggle with. Sometimes it's the minor delays that we've got some of the biggest problems with. Well, well, here's the reality. If you didn't get it, delays are an inevitable part of life. They're coming. You're going to deal with them every day, every week, every month, every year. The question is, are we going to be able to deal with delays in a godly manner? And if we are, the way we can is that we got to look at delays from God's perspective. And if we don't look at the delay from God's eye point, God's viewpoint, then we're always going to have our problem with it. And this is in, in good in good nature with Scripture. Read Scripture. 
Oftentimes, over and over, it's repeated, matter of fact, that God will give a promise. He'll give a vision. He'll give a task. And then there's this long delay in fulfilling it. But what we look at is that long delay. We need to understand that that's a long delay on our timetable. Not necessarily God's timetable. Our timetable is why it looks so long. And, and just some ideas that, that I know we can relate with. God promised Abraham and Isaac a son. I mean, Abraham and Isaac, that'd be weird. God did not do that. You're not at that type of church, I promise. All right. You're at one where I'll make many worldly mistakes, but we're not doing Abraham and Isaac. Okay. God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, but it's years before Isaac finally comes. Moses tries to stand up for his people in Egypt. What's he end up doing at first? Tending sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. Now you're thinking, man, that was a good thing to want to stand up for, for God's people. It was. Joseph gets this prophetic dream from God that he'll rule over not only people, but members of his own family that, 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 that he was getting picked on by. His brothers sell him into slavery and he spends years in prison before these dreams come true. God's delays sometimes have great purposes, though. And as we look back at David, I kind of want to do this to review on where we've been after a couple weeks off from Samuel. David goes through this exact same thing. I mean, go back to, to, to chapter 16. That's as far back as we'll go for the review. And God promised David these great things. What did he say? Chapter 16, verse 13. You will be the future king of Israel. Man, that's such a big thing to hear. And then wait on, because we're, we're at chapter 22 now, years later, and David still ain't king. He's hiding in a cave. So, so, so you see, sometimes God has these delays on purpose. Everything seemed to be unfolding great. Everything was going wonderful. He gets brought up to work for Saul in chapter 16, verse 21. He defeats Goliath in chapter 17. He gets this friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, in chapter 18. Uh, Saul gives him this high-ranking position in the army. Sounds good. 18, verse 5. Uh, he's with David and everything that he did is what verse 14 says. So, so David's like this golden child. Everything David does turns out great. And, and that seems so wonderful until we realize what that promotes Saul to do. So, so the people of Israel, the people of Judah, everybody's loving him. Verse 16 says that David marries, uh, the king's daughter, chapter 18, verse 27. Everything's fallen into place for exactly what God had promised David. And then we get to these last few chapters that we've been in. And it just falls to a sudden halt. Saul grows jealous of David's success. So jealous, in fact, he determines to kill him. Throwing spears at him, paying people, getting the hitmen after him, trying to get his own son to do it and whatnot. So David finds himself on the run, literally running for his life. He becomes a fugitive. He's hiding out from Saul and his soldiers. He's sneaking food and weapons from priests. You know, you've gotten to a bad spot when you've got to sneak food and weapons from the church clergy. Uh, that's chapter 21, 1 through 9. Uh, also in 21, he starts acting like a madman. You know, you guys remember foaming at the beard and drooling and, and acting like a psycho uh, in order to, to escape safely again from the land of Gath. All this going on. And then we get to chapter 22 this morning. And God's promise is still on delay. It's still on hold. And if you've learned nothing else as a, as a person who's walking with Christ, is that you've got to have endurance for the long haul. It's not a short-term, you know, goal-type thing. It's for the long haul. The, the quicker we can get on board with Christ, the better, because the longer we get to run the race for Him and not for ourselves. You know, I, I hear people all the time talking about, well, well, if you can just, you know, we use that 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 uh, guy on the cross at the very end, not to say he wasn't saved, he was promised by by Jesus Himself that he will be remembered. But we use that as an example all the time. Well, I'll just wait like that guy to to the last minute. Do you realize how many blessings you're robbing yourself of? 
If, if that's your idea. Now, I'm not saying that that, that, that makes it going to be a smooth run or a smooth obstacle course. You're in it for the long haul. It means you're going to be working for a lot. It means you're going to be delayed for a lot. It means all these promises that you read about and study about, you're going to get excited about them. And then you're going to realize when are they, when are they coming? And sometimes they'll come quick, but sometimes you'll be sitting in a cave like, like David is in Samuel 22, wondering what in the world is God's plan in all this? And I want to show us by some things that, that David says in some of the Psalms that he writes at this moment that that's okay. That's okay to be wondering why these delays and what we're going through. So, so get your brain going real quick and ask yourself, what do you do when life didn't turn out the way you thought it should? What do you do? Now, what should you do? So don't blurt it out. Don't blurt it out. You'll get in trouble, especially you. I know you will. So keep it quiet. Keep it on the inside. Don't let nobody know what you do, how horrible of a sinner, dirty, rotten person you are, right? What do you do when you thought God was leading and you're running to a wall? You know, that's the worst thing about a cave. You ever think about being in a cave? You're surrounded by walls. I mean, you've got that one opening where you can see the outlet at, and that is it. Could you imagine just being surrounded by walls all day long? Some of us have that feeling, not not physically, but spiritually, emotionally. Sometimes we feel, man, I'm, I'm literally surrounded by walls all the time. What in the world is going on? We can see that one glimpse of light out the front of the cave, but but we're told to stay in the cave or we're too afraid to go out of the cave or, or whatever it is, it, and we just stay there. What do you do when you suddenly find yourself in the cave instead of the palace? How do you deal with God's delays in your life? David's going to show us three things. I want us to start with number one. A warning, we will stay on point one for like three quarters of the sermon. That means two and three are shorter points, so it's good news for you, right? Number one is this. you got to serve God where you are. It is that easy. you got to serve God where you are. Too many believers are thinking, well, I got to get here before I can do. No, no. God's got you here. Then you serve here. If God's got you there, then you serve there. Stop thinking you got to get somewhere before you can start doing what God has called you to do. Serve God exactly where you are. Look at Gath. Gath, one of the capital cities of the Philistines. We'll look at this a couple weeks ago. It's where David had to act like a madman to get away from. And verse one says this. Go back to what, what Mitch had just read. So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave. David left Gath. Some of you have the word escape. The word escape there translates real, 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 real well into slipping away, being delivered from danger. You know, you, you remember he was in trouble right there. David originally went to Gath. Why? To hide. It was going to be a safe place. Where did he go right before that? I know it's been like three weeks, so, but I know you guys are awesome Bible studiers. You write down all the things I preach and say, so you have the answer. Just look back in your notes, like back to chapter 21, like halfway down, and it says this city of N-O-B. No, good job. I knew you had it in your notes. I'm proud of you. Uh, so, so he goes to that place. Why did he go there? Same answer to escape Saul. Everything's to get away from Saul. He, here's what I look at, guys. He, he goes there to escape Saul, but he has to flee. He, he gets his own idea of acting like a madman. That doesn't work because he still says in this very first verse that he had to get out of there to find a safe haven also. And he's now stuck in a cave. He can't go home. He can't go back to his wife. He can't even really get a good safe haven in the church. He, he can't go back to his hometown. He can't go back to mom and daddy's house. He, he can't even go to these cities where he keeps 
planning to escape to and blend in. God has placed him in a cave. Now, now this cave, you know, Adullam, it means refuge. So, so you know, it's neat that, that he's named it that. But what lessons has David learned here? Sometimes our escape is just to be with God. We don't get to go to the big city. We don't get to go hide with the right people. We don't get to resort back to things like mommy and daddy taking care of all our problems, you know, as we grow in this. Unless you're, you know, looking at, at Abba, you know, father, daddy, that's, that's one way I guess you can look at it. But, but in the big scheme of things, sometimes God just wants us to get in the cave where there's nothing but him and us. Take away all the distractions. That's one good thing about a cave. While you got all those walls up and you're feeling enclosed, you're also not distracted by anything outside the cave. You know, and the further you go into the cave, sometimes I know that's, that gets darker and it gets scarier. And I'm saying that's always a, a great thing. But sometimes we need to go deep into the cave so we can quit hearing what's outside the cave, too. Sometimes the deeper we go and the further we get away from the distractions outside, the better we can hear God. And I, and, I, and I want us to understand that that's OK. Like getting to that point is OK. But here's what here's what David does. And here's where I want us to. Deposit. So if you got your Bibles, hold Samuel 22, flip to Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. And here's why. And there are great scholars that are much smarter than me that will tell you which cave David was in when he wrote both of these, these psalms. I am not big on speculating what God's word says. So I will say this. Both of these chapters were written while David was in a cave. It could be this cave or it could have been the other cave. I don't care. Okay, so nobody leave here and say, well, I got this note in my Bible and it tells me that this was the chapter. I promise you, the man that wrote that note in your Bible has no idea which cave David was in when he wrote it. Okay, so we're going to take both of the writings from David while he's in a cave and just look at what Dave said. Okay, so 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 read with me here. And here's something I want you to understand. I want you to understand. This came up the other day, a quote by Spurgeon. Said David wouldn't be a man, wouldn't be able to be a man after God's own heart if he hadn't been a man of prayer first. David wouldn't be able to be a man after God's own heart if he hadn't been a man of prayer first. Prayer starts this whole thing, man. And here's where David is, and here's why I point this out, because Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 are prayers. They're prayers, and they're honest prayers. Read read 142. Oh, I told y'all to turn, and I didn't turn my own. Read. Read 142 with me, and it's got that little note when David was in a cave. And here's the prayer. I cried aloud to the Lord. Y'all see the word aloud? Y'all know what aloud means? Oh, you're in doubt of that. I can bring all the children back in here, and you will quickly understand what the word aloud means. What does the word aloud mean? Out loud. It's audible. It's hearing. And I point that out for this. You're like, well, that's pretty basic there, Pastor. How many times do we either come to an altar, sit in our chair, or pray in the car, and and we never say anything out loud? Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Now, I've been there too, multiple times. Still get there, very periodically. And and we try to cover it up with, well, the Lord knows what I'm saying. Which sounds spiritual, like, you know, God knows exactly what's in my heart. Do you realize how powerful an out loud cry can be? What, what What if as a baby... We just sat there, never cried out loud, but wiggled in our little dirty diaper 
and, and, and got our face real red and, and just threw tantrums and, and all this stuff. And inside our head, we're thinking, well, mom and dad know I'm hungry or I need a diaper because that's the only two things baby needs. I mean, that's it. Let's just be honest. In the beginning, that's all baby needs. Clean diaper, some food, time to go to sleep. Greatest stage they could ever be at because then they start moving and talking. Right? But but think about that. That baby screams and yells and cries. Why? To get your attention. It needs something. So why should we be any different with Abba? Why don't we cry aloud to God? Why, why when we come to an altar, are we so worried about what people in the seat or the person beside us at the altar is thinking that we think, oh, I got to be really quiet right now and not let anybody know what's going on. Forget everybody else and deal with yourself in Christ and cry out loud. Get your ugly cry on. Have snot. I think this ought to be the snottiest spot in the church. And I mean that. I'm talking snottier than Kids Haven, snottier than the gym. This, I mean, there ought to be little booger drops everywhere up here because we got serious with God and broke down. It's what David did. It says that David cried aloud to the Lord. Look at the next part. Again, the word's repeated just in case you didn't get it. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. He, I mean, this guy is not leaving anything in. He is dumping it all out. Literally. I mean, out loud for everybody to hear, anybody who's near him. Maybe the cave becomes an echo, and that's how the people find him. I don't know. I'm getting ahead because that's verse 2, right? I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. How many times you say, well, God knows what I'm going through? We like to assume a lot. And not even that your assumptions are wrong. With God, yes, God does know what you're going through. I understand it too. But it, but is there not something special ab- about when you get to voice that to God? You know, I, I can tell when, when my wife's having a bad day, but I'm still dumb enough to ask the question, what's wrong? I mean, I, I'm serious. Because if you have a good line of communication, and I, and I mean this, I really do, you want to hear her say exactly what is wrong? Now, sometimes I push the button too much, but I want her to tell me everything that is wrong. And you say, that sounds really, really weird. No, when you care about somebody, you want to hear exactly what is wrong. Does God not care about us? Do you not think God wants to hear the troubles that are bothering our hearts while we cry out loud? Or do you think he just wants us to sum it up and God, you know everything I'm going through, solve it all. Amen. I mean, if you put that much thought and emotion into it, and not, thank God I'm not God, because I would look at, why should I solve what you're going through? That's the thought and the, the adoration that you're going to pour into this. But when you get serious about it, and you dump into it, and you pour out into it, and you reveal everything into it, verse 3, although my spirit is weak within me. Oh, the honesty, I love it. I love it. You want to know why David's a man after God's heart? Because he's always honest with God. There's no sugarcoating it, man. I love it. There's no, and, and here, here's, here's you Christians now. We've got these cliche phrases we always try to use now, right? Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? I, 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 I'm too anointed to be disappointed. I, I'm, I'm too, I'm too lovable to be hateable. You know, all this, all this, uh, all this stupid stuff that we say all the time. And you say, well, Pastor, that's some good, that's some good stuff sometime, isn't it? Yeah, sometime maybe, but sometime, you know what's also good? Just blatant honesty. 
God, right now, this period of my life sucks. That's where David's at. He's hiding in a cave. He's supposed to be the king. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be uh, heirs. We're supposed to be priests to a royal kingdom. So, so maybe we can really relate with, with David right now, right? He's hiding there, and yet he has to say this. God, my, my spirit right now is just weak, man. I'm broken. I'm broke. I can't handle what's coming my way. I, 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 I'm snot crying on your altar, and, and I need to make sure you, you got my attention and you understand exactly what's going on. Along this path I've traveled, they've hidden traps for me, God. God, they've placed nets around me to try to catch me. And you look to the right and you see no one stands up for me. Nobody's here for me anymore, God. You wonder, uh, Pastor, aren't you, aren't you kind of reading into this that, that David is depressed? And, and no, I don't think I'm reading into it. I think he's being as blatant honest as he can be about his depression. He is sitting there and he feels alone. He feels isolated and he's in a cave. And he flat out tells God, God, I am weak right now. I'm looking around me to the right. And what do I see? Nobody standing up for me. There's no refuge for me. No one cares about me. Verse five, I cry to you, Lord. I say that you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison so that I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. What an honest, open prayer. Church, how often is it that you pray that honest and blatant before an almighty God? Not covering up the dirtiness, not not trying to sugarcoat it and just sound super spiritual, like, like you got to be Superman by yourself, not, not putting on your church face. I mean, he's just got blatant honesty going on right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I know sometimes we talk to people and they're too honest. OK, so, so you got to find that balance like everything else in our walk. But I'm going to be honest, if you're asking the same people every Sunday morning or every Wednesday night or or during the week, how's life going? And they're always, oh, it's just going so good. Too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, too grateful to be hateful. They're just they're just rolling through them like that. They've got a problem and you need to you need to get on. Like in a good way, sit down with, hey, man, I care about you. What exactly is breaking your heart right now? Why are you trying to cover it up? Why? That's what the brotherhood's supposed to be about, right? I mean, is it not? Man, we get nasty sometime in that upper room, I'm going to tell you. You confess some things up in there, and, and, and man, the very next thing, you're going to be in that awkward moment, and everybody's hands on you praying over you. We believe in the power of prayer in the upper room, I'm going to tell you. Okay? So, so if you don't like to be prayed over, you better not mention it. Because we're going to hold you down, we're going to pray over you. All right? The honesty in this prayer. Look at 57. Psalm 57, it says another another psalm that is written from a cave. Which cave, Pastor? Don't know, don't care. He's in a cave. I'm going to take scripture for what scripture says. I'm not going to try to guess if he was if he was at this cave or another cave or, or a cave later. I'm just going to take scripture for what scripture says. It says he's in a cave. Read this thing, Psalm 57. A couple of these will be on the on the screen for you. And I just I just want to point out David's transition here. David or Psalm 57 shows David with a humble heart. Look at verse one. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. The humbleness now. Now remember, this is again supposed to be who a king. This is this is supposed to be the one that's that's in charge of everything. Be merciful to me. Verse 50 or Psalm 57, verse two. 
David with this prayerful heart, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Y'all know all things means good and bad. Y'all got that? That word all, I know it's only three letters and it's hard to interpret sometimes, but it means everything. It does. If you say all, it means all. Every part of it. Verse four and verse six, it shows David how realistic he is. Again, not hiding anything. My soul is among lions. They have prepared nets for my steps. You hear the the poetry that he's writing? Now he feels like every step he takes is a trap by somebody who's outside trying to get him. Just just, just a realistic heart that he's he's sharing with an almighty God. And then verses 9, 5, and 11, some of the phrases from there that show us his trust now as he praises the Lord. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Here's the huge point I want to make sure you get from Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, regardless of which cave, what cave and when cave. Okay, David is still in the cave while he's writing these verses. Do do you hear what I'm saying? He's still trapped in a delay. He's still surrounded by walls. See, sometimes we think in the church that we got to get out of the cave before we can have a heart like David. No, have it now, no matter what the circumstances are. Because if you have a heart like David now in the storm, oh, it'll be so much easier when you get outside the cave and see the sunlight. Don't wait for the sunlight to come before you finally start praising the Lord, because you've got something to be praiseful for all the time. And if not, then just follow David's lead and just be honest with God. God, I am broken and I can't handle it any longer. You know, you can't get healed till you go to a doctor if you've got a major problem, right? Do you understand? I remember with Sid a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, on the stage, stage four doesn't just disappear normally. All right, that, that's that, you know, you're blunt and honest, that's like a death sentence. Okay? Stage four, oh, you don't even have cancer, Sid. It's, it's like not here any longer. What? What? And we want to say that God doesn't still do miracles and, and perform great things today? It, church, understand this. We need to cry out to God so that God can answer the, 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 the brokenness of our hearts. And the understanding of our, and we need to be okay with however long God takes to do that. Now I'm preaching to myself because I struggle with the waiting game, you know? But I, I also understand that God is in charge and the waiting game has a purpose. And, and the things I'm going through have a purpose. And, and that just as God's word says in Romans 8, that everything he's doing for those that are his, and I am his, okay? So don't, don't, by the way, don't take that verse and share it with everybody. Right? You, you, you won't hear many pastors tell you don't share a verse with everybody. That's a verse you don't just share with everybody. Don't look at, at, at the homeless guy who is not God's and tell baby, everything is working out just the way God wants it for you. No, no, the verse says everything is working out for those that are his called. OK, we need to be careful sometimes, Christians, when we use these verses that sound so good. It's a great sounding verse, but let's just make sure we understand it's for believers. All right, you, you get to wear your my daddy's Abba shirt and be proud about it when you say that verse. You don't share that verse with other people, okay? It's like I get to watch the little rich kids come into the shop sometime 
like like this past Friday, which I never thought rims and tires would sell on a Black Friday, but they did. And, and, and large packages, which is really good. Hey, we like that, right? Kids get to eat this week. So so in watching that though, I watched one kid come in. His mom buys him. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Everybody's status is different. Four used tires. Hey, everybody's got financial different statuses. That's why we sell. That's why we sell both. Kid, not too long after, comes in and, and drops the truck off. And while we're working on the first one, he watches what we put on this other truck. This kid's got two-piece fuel, twenty by twelve. I mean, decked out, two thousand dollars set of wheels plus the tire and everything else going on. And mom and daddy just swipe to 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 get it for him. But here's the difference. That kid got to have that right of mom and dad got this for me, whichever way it was, whichever way it was. We need to sometimes understand that sometimes God's going to bless us abundantly. And sometimes he's going to bless us with just what we need to be saved. Right. Because that's what parents do. They, they take care of their children, make sure they're safe. And every now and then. My kids, if, if you know, mine are all in the back, you will never have this status. OK, you get a little extra blessing. <laughs> Not, not, not the extra, extra, extra blessing. Like you just get the whipped cream, but not the cherry, uh, on the top type thing, right? But sometimes they're like that. But, but do you not think both should just be grateful that man, my mom or my dad or whoever is taking care of this for me? Church, be proud that that is that Romans eight twenty eight is a promise for you. Be proud that that, that that your father says, "Don't you worry about it. I got. It. I'm working this out for you." Because here's what day. Here's what happens, and I. I'm not sure I wrote this down the first time as hope. Then I wrote it again. I mean, here's the problem when you got two weeks to read over extra, extra verses, right? I wrote it down as hope. Then I wrote it down as trouble. Then I wrote like a bunch of question marks. And, and then I got an exclamation point, all, all stuff where I'm just showing how the emotions are changing. Because look at what happens in verse two. His family finds him. Some of you are thinking, isn't that a good thing? I don't know. <laughs> and there's why I wrote hope, trouble, question mark, who knows? Right. His family learns where he is. And what do they do? They all go there too. now. I'm thinking they all go there to me. It doesn't say because if Saul's after David and David's gone, he's probably going to start going after David's friends, family and acquaintances. I'm just using reasonable doubt to figure this out. Right. So they're in danger. They feel in danger. So they also come here. Not only does the family come still in verse two, it says that a bunch of people. Started coming. Now, if you're Saul, I mean, if you're David and you've been praying and you poured out your heart, Psalm 57, you poured out your heart, Psalm 142, and you told God, God, I need people. And you start seeing people coming to your cave. You get a smile. He's going to send me strong people. He's going to send me mighty people. He's going to send me people who protect me. He's going to send me warriors. We're going to get this junk done. But verse two says, in addition, every man who was desperate. Hold on, God, I didn't order the desperate people. I, I ordered the strong, the warriors, the strong, every every person who was in debt. Hold on, God, I don't want the poor people. <laughs> like, I'm asking for money. I don't want to give it. Right. That can mean a lot of things, by the way. Are discontented. Hold on, God. Where, God, where are the good people I've been praying about that you're going to send me? In addition, every man who is desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him, and he became the leader. About 400 men were with him. Wow. God sent him a bunch of trouble while he's in trouble. <laughs> right? 
Verse 2, that word for distress, debt, and discontented, all, all those things wrap up. And then it says, and David became their leader. Really, that could translate into ruler or, or prince. I, I think that word is there to show us once again how David is kind of symbolic. Not that he, somebody thought I said David was Christ. David is not Christ. He's symbolic of Christ. Big difference. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to misconstrue anybody. But this word of being a prince over those that are broken, over those that need to be ministered to, he's a good symbol here as he ministers. What did it say about Jesus? He ministered to the downcast and the poor. Well, that sounds exactly like what David is doing here. So what did David do in the cave? He served. He ministered to his family. He ministered to those in trouble. Here's what he didn't do. Because how easy would it have been to be a guy like David who's poured out your heart to God, allowed God to change you while you're in that situation, and have 400 people plus your family come up with all their problems and their lists and their requests and their, their whines and their grievances? How easy would it have been to look at them and be like, hey, I got problems with myself, roll out. This is my cave, go find your own. Right? It'd been easy. It'd be, but here's what he didn't do. He did not become passive. He never became paralyzed by the fear. He didn't just sit around and pout. He acted, he organized, he planned, and he served. And because of that, the verse says that God made him a leader, a captain over them. Now, please understand this because it's easy to read this section from a worldly mindset because I did it first and see this as a mob. This is 400 angry people. And who do you think they're all angry at? You don't believe that. Look at the angry people in the world and see who they blame. They blame our president. We always point to the leader, whoever it is. If you, if, since you don't like that, you know, look at sports. If your team did bad, who do you point to? Coach or the quarterback every single time, no matter what. Don't matter if you threw for 400 yards or not, you're still blaming him, right? We always point to the leader for this thing. So everybody's mad at Saul. They're angry at Saul. And now they've gathered into this cave together. Oh, can you feel the fire brewing? How easy would it be to turn this mob into a rallied, rebelled army to go back and fight? Church, understand this. God doesn't work through mobs. He doesn't work through rallied people of, of anger. He works through a called men and called women. And he also calls others to stand with and support those called men and called women to get the job done. It would have been easy for David to make this all about a rebel army and to take care of stuff. But here's what scripture tells us David did. This verse tells us David came or these men came to David in distress and debt and discontented. Later on, first, uh, first Chronicles chapter 12, verse eight describes these men again. Here's what it says about them. Mighty men of valor, men trained for battle who could handle the shield and the spear whose faces were like the face of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Do they sound like the same men? You see some time in a cave with the Lord can quickly change you. I should have had that picture. I know all of you watch Facebook, so you've seen it, where, where the kittens go into the prayer room and the lions come out. Should have got Crystal to put that. That's where they're at. They went in like little whiny kittens, but they come out after some time with God. And who knows exactly how long it was before God got it done to them, but they come out like this, moving like gazelles, face like lions, like the confidence and the level they have was just crazy different. Scripture says this in first Peter chapter four, verse 19, when you're going through a difficult time. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. 
We don't like verses like this, do we? We're just saying, like, hold on, I'm suffering. I want, like, a solution. I want, like, an, you are the solution. How about that? Isn't that crazy? What, what do you mean, I'm the solution? Well, it says, if you're suffering according to God's will, by the way, don't miss that part of it, then you should commit yourself to the faith of Christ. Commit yourself to God. God made you. He cares about you. He knows exactly what, what he's got planned for you. Stop turning away when life gets difficult. I can't tell you how often I see that, man. I, and it, it, it bothers me because I'm like, you, you turn away from God during the most difficult times when you need God the most then. Like those ought to be the times that you're instantly down there with the, 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 the snot at the altar. Right? I mean, those ought to be the moments that you are broken and crying out to God the most. Not like turning away from God and mad at God and, oh, it didn't work out the way I thought. Of course it didn't work out the way you thought it. It's not your book. It's God's book. If you wrote it, it can work out your way, but you didn't write it. Okay? This is God's plan that's working out. So continue to commit yourself to God. What else does Peter say? Not only do you continue to commit, you continue to do good. Notice it's not an idle time to get away with doing nothing. We think that, though, don't we? Well, you understand, I'm going through a tough moment, so I just need to quit doing everything else that, that I've been doing and just be to myself. No, that's not what it says. It says commit yourself to God and continue to do good. It says continue to work, continue to serve, continue to minister to, continue to do what God has called you to do. Why? Because when you're at this moment, what did the verse say? These 400 men were with, with David. Not under David, not above David. They were with David. There's a lot of lessons sometimes in the way scripture words things, guys. We read this and we know that David was anointed by God. But I want to make sure we understand God called these 400 people to come beside David. I believe every single one of those 400 that showed up were specifically picked out by God to do whatever part they needed to do to get God's uh, plan accomplished through this whole thing. Because there's two principles here. And the first is this. God God leads to anointed people. There's, there's no mistake in that. When God needed an ark built, he didn't call 400 people. Who did he call? Noah. Right? When, 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 uh, when Israel needed deliverance from, from Egypt, did he say, let's get a committee, let's vote, let's decide and, and, and come on in and have a talk about it and how we're going to do it and the plan? No. No, that, that's not exactly how it worked at all. Over and over again in scripture, God works through anointed men and women. Now here's the second part that we easily miss when we read stuff like this and we get on this, this tangent. Say now, God rarely calls a man or woman to do it alone. There's people who were called up to come beside them to get the job done. You, you hear Mitch and you'll hear Harry speak next week and, and you've heard the people from Puerto Rico and, and, and all this stuff going on about all this stuff and, and you wonder, man, well God didn't call you. No, he might have didn't call you there. That's okay. That's okay. He called Mitch to this part of Africa. He called Harry to wherever on the other side of Africa. He called the Peels to Puerto Rico and, and he called the lots over to, to, to Portland. He called specific people to specific locations. Be okay with that. Stop thinking you got to get on somebody else's call. That's the problem. I'm telling you, that's the problem. Some of you are miserable because you wanted to jump on somebody else's call. Get on your call. Watch yourself. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like stay in your lane. Isn't that how the phrase goes? Stay in your lane. Don't come into my lane. You know what I'm saying? Don't get into his lane. He's got it. He's got it. I tell you he's got it because how in the world would somebody at 60 years old want to preach to youth every Wednesday? You know what I'm saying? You know that is a divine calling by God. And he's passionate about it. He's crazy about it. Okay? Get serious 
about your calling. Maybe your calling. I, I know somebody who's very wealthy and they tell me flat out they are wealthy because God has called them to support different missions. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't hide it in, in any which way. They know God blessed them financially so that they can bless others. Maybe that's you. Maybe your blessing's not to ever go, not to ever see, not to ever be hands on. Maybe your calling is to just give. We need to understand that's okay. God has called everybody to do different stuff for different reasons. Maybe you're poor. Well, maybe God called you to pray. There's some super awesome prayer warriors that get the job done. Not that you have to be poor to pray. (laughs) Sorry, that sounded wrong. We just need to understand that God's called different people to do different stuff. Because the second principle is this one. God really calls a man to do alone. David needed those 400 men just as much as those 400 men needed David. He did, he, even if he didn't know it. Because, because in doing that, that allowed David to become the leader he was supposed to be already. Think about it. He got right back on board with training for kingship. Think about how God used this. He's, he's right back in line. He's getting stuff going. He's anointed to lead them, and he does it. Look at verse 3 through 4. I told you point one was a little longer than normal. Number two. Some of you are thinking, hold on, I thought we had been through like four or five points already. No, just two, just two. Continue to seek God's will. Look at three and four real quick since it's been a minute since we read it. Three and four. From there, David went to Mizpah uh, of Moab, where he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So he left them there in the care of the king, and they stayed with him the whole time David was in a stronghold. Continue to seek God's will. How do you do that? The best way you can do that is to remember what God's done for you in the past. The best way you can continue to seek God's will for your future is to remember what God's already done for you in the past. I think we ought to be better journalers. I think that's another thing that made David such a good man after, after God's honor. He's always, you know, we got all these songs. By the way, they're not in order, so, you know, forget that, that idea. Some of them were just put together as, as man. Bible's put together as man, written, inspired. By God, okay? So, so, so you got all this stuff going on that David records. Now I'm talking to myself because I don't really journal a lot either, but, but we should. We should journal like the things where God answers a prayer. You know, we, we should, we should journal that, that a man went from stage four to nothing. We should journal when, when a woman couldn't have kids and now she has a, a slew of them. You know, we, we should journal, you know, when a marriage was broken and God restored it. We, we should journal when somebody was lost and had no idea about Jesus and now all they can't do, all they can do is talk about Jesus. We should journal this stuff. Because there'll be moments in your life when life sucks, people suck, and you need to look back in your notes and say, but this is what God did. This this is what he's done. And if he's done it then, he can do it again. If he did it in my life then, he can do it again now. We need those things. Remember what God's done in the past. Check check out what what David's doing here. He understands God's sovereignty. There's there's something some of us need to understand. Countless people can testify on how God's taken the worst of of life and use them for good. There goes back to that Romans 8.28 idea again, okay? But but here's the point. Nothing God does is ever wasted. Nothing. He's not a wasteful God. He uses he uses everything. Henry Blackaby has a study I did years ago, many years ago now, called Experiencing God. And he calls these things spiritual markers. And he says a spiritual marker is an event and a turning point that God has allowed to take place in which he wishes to use for your future. Like you just look back and oh. That's what God was doing. You ever have those moments? We should have more of those moments. I hope we do, really. Like you should look at, oh, that was God's plan. That was what God was doing. Like I thought he was just being a jerk, but he, he had a plan. He knew what he was doing. I thought he just threw me in the cave and surrounded me by walls and, and that was it. He knew what he was doing, right? 
Check it out. David illustrates this in exactly what he does for his parents. One, why he's in the middle of worrying about himself and now 400 other people. What's number one concern? Mom and daddy. I'm going to make sure mom and daddy don't have to flee and run the way I have to. I'm going to make sure they don't have to fight when we get ready to fight. I'm going to take mom and daddy and I'm going to put them in a safe place. Okay? Children, there'll be an age where your parents need you to put them in a safe place. That is not a home where you lock them away and never visit them. Okay? That, that is a safe place. Some of you older parents better shake your head faster so your kids understand what I'm telling them. Or you'll be locked up in a home and they'll never come see you. Right? Why Moab? Why Moab? Because David knew his history. Who's from Moab? His grandmama. Good job, Christians. Ruth. His great-grandma, I guess I should say, right? His great-grandmama was from here. He remembered that God had brought his great-grandmother, Ruth, out of the land of Moab into the community of faith of Israel. What a powerful story if you weren't with us. Man, who knows how long ago since we knew verse by verse. <laughs> long time ago, right? But, but what a powerful story. A lady who wasn't part of the family now gets adopted into the family. A lady who, who didn't know what her, what her calling and purpose was going to be, and, and now her calling and her purpose is not only going to be, by the way, to birth David, who's going to be a king, but she's also going to be in the lineage of who? Because who comes after that? Yeah, Jesus. Talk about a powerful change in turn of events, right? David remembers this. He's got Moabite blood running through him, and he remembers it. He says, man, I got Moabite blood. And, and as I get to this part of it, remember, David's a well-known warrior. Everybody knew about his, his fights and, and what was going on. Everybody knew everything he did was turned to gold. Genealogies, they're not just written for us. They were a huge part of people relating to people in Scripture time. I know y'all reading, you're like, oh, we'll just skip over that. That's pointless. It's got huge purposes. Okay, they use the same purposes to show where people are from, identifying, you know, who that person was in those days. David remembered his roots. He looked back to his past and he trusted every part of it was part of God's plan. Can you guys do that? Can you look back to your roots and your past and trust that God was doing something crazy to get you to where the future lies for you? That's David. Now, I understand there's parts of our story and parts of our lives that are still a mystery to us. We ask God, God, what in the world did you allow that to happen? And sometimes you may never actually know exactly why you went through what you went through. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. Know that this God was with you then and God is with you now. If you don't get to understand the details now, maybe in, 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 the, in the kingdom of God, when you get some time to sit down with him for, for the future, you can ask. All right. Chalk, chalk it up as that if you need to. Right. You can take all the evil, all the good, all the bad, whatever, and understand that God was using it to accomplish something. Maybe it was just to get his parents to a safe place during this time. Who knows? Right. Seek God's will for the future. What's he say when he gets to the king? Would you let my mom and dad, my father and my mother come and stay with you? Until I figure out what I'm going to do. That was it. Oh, don't fall in that trap. See, we would, wouldn't we? It sounded so right. All of you agreed with me just now. You just watch them until I figure out what I'm going to do. No, who cares what you're going to do? What you're going to do is going to get you in trouble. What you're going to get you to do, got drool coming out your beard and running around like a madman trying to find safety. What, what, what you're going to do is going to keep you running from city to city looking for, looking for your safe haven. Right. How about let's worry about what God's going to do. And that's what he says. What an awesome testimony to David being a man after God's own heart. Right. Until I learn what God will do for me. David is not seeking his own will in this matter. He's seeking God's. He's not trying to force what he wants to happen. Y- y- y'all do that, don't you? If we're honest, 
Anybody try to force what they want to happen? You know, even when you pray about it, God, I, I really need this person to come into my life. So you call or text them 700 times. And then they respond back and you're like, oh, what a coincidence. I was just thinking about you. You, you texted me 700 times. You, you called me 600. Oh, that must have just been a coincidence, man. Well, why I got you on the phone? Here's what God said. We, we try to force our will on too many things, right? Not David. David just wants to seek out the will of God and what God's going to do for him. And, and here's what leads us to our last point then. And here's what we really need to do. Yes, I will. What a good song to, to lead in the last point. Be quick to respond to God's word. Look at verse five, our last one from today. Then the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Does that not just sound like horrible advice? Every time I read, even when Mitch read it, I got like uneasy sitting right there. I'm like, what kind of advisor is going to tell you don't stay in your safe haven? Get out. Uh, let me let me get a different let me get a different guy. Right. Don't stay in your stronghold. Leave and return to the land of Judah. Hold on. Now, Judah is where who is. And what's Saul trying to do to David? And this guy's advice is to leave your safe haven. And go where? To the enemy. I, I'd had the question, you know, I, I'm not doubting that you're not a man of God, but let's have some prayer time. Let's call a prayer meeting, get a committee together, vote over this thing and see what we can do. But but before we can even get through the verse, what does it say? So David left and went to the forest. There's no excuses. There's no call of a committee and a vote. There's no second guessing. There's no hold on. I'm going to need to go to the other church and see what their pastor says. There's none of that. There's so David left and went to do what he was told to do. Can we be assured that we would be that willing to do what God has called us to do? Because see, if we're going to deal with God's delays, God's way, we got to be quick to respond to God's word. Now, now this guy's going to come up and he's going to come up again later on. Matter of fact, uh, first Chronicles 29, 29 says this about David and all of his prophets. See, David had Samuel. He had Nathan. He had Gad. You know, if, if you want to follow a good guy, check out those people that he's seeking advice from. And, and when people like Samuel, Nathan and Gad are the guys you're seeking advice from and you find out these are godly guys doing things God's way and he's listening to them and doing what they say, you can rest assured that he's surrounded by good people and he's probably a good person to follow. OK, he's not MTV in it. He, he's not checking out what YouTube says. He's not Facebook messaging the world. He's not tweeting. To, to see what the advice is or Instagram or anything else. He's checking out what God's word says. God's people say about what he's supposed to do. See, we go to the wrong source sometime and then we're confused on why we got the wrong advice and why we're handling something the wrong way. If we would just go to the right source and handle it the way the source told us to handle it, we wouldn't have the problems we got. We just pile more problems on because we want to seek out the world's advice rather than God's advice. Here's what it says about him. First Chronicles 29, 20, I'm talking about his name. As as for the events of King David's reign, from the beginning to the end, how awesome would this be to be said about us? From the beginning to the end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. From beginning to end, they were all over David's life and writing about it and recording it and advising it and checking it out. Now, some of you are thinking, but doesn't the king have ruling authority? Yeah, but people back then, here's what's awesome. They had, they had that authority. But the prophet who spoke the word of God was considered a higher authority here. Man, if that would be something we could get back, how awesome we could turn this world around. These people literally, it didn't matter about a king, the prophet who's advising them 
would have been the one. And write this down and check it out because this applies to, to us today. You can always tell a king's heart towards God by the way he responded to God's prophets. You can do that same thing for you. You can always tell your heart towards God by the way you respond to God's word. Check it out. David enjoyed the support and the aid from the prophets. He welcomed it. He welcomed it. You remember all the things that Saul did for all those chapters? He was always negative every time poor Samuel came to to help him out. He resisted God's word every single time. David, he received it. And not just in good times, because I know you think, well, hold on, it'd be good to to receive. No, right now he's being told to leave his safety net and go back to the danger zone. We should have had danger zone playing just now, right? Could have fun with this one, right? Instantly. Or, Or what about when he's called out on his sin? What about when he's called out on a sin? How easy would it have been to look Nathan back in the face and be like, hey, man, don't you call me out on sin. You get out of here. Jesus in the future is going to say, if you got no sin, cast the first rock, right? It'd been easy to throw all that out. But what does he do? Instantly breaks. Admits that he was wrong. Weeps, repents, and cries out. Why? Because David was always quick to respond to God's word, even when he had bad news, even when it was a conviction of sin, and always when it was a leadership on a change of position, right? He was quick to respond. I think because he was quick to respond, that's another thing that made him a man after God's own heart. But I also think that is exactly why God left, God led him to this prophet. Because he knew when this prophet spoke, David would be quick to respond. Pray about who God leads you to to get advice from, guys. Because I think sometimes if you would pray about who God is leading you to get advice from and you would hear that advice and take it and run with it, it could change your outcome instantly. Sometimes God's already set up the advice that you need from the from the person you're going to reach out to. Now the question is whether you're going to listen or not. What does he say? Do not stay here. Go to the land of Judah. And he does so. And he does so. We're going to find out next week exactly what all goes on there. But he does so. That's just the biggest point. He does what God called him to do. Yes, I will. Even when it's not the thing I want to hear you say. David had to learn to trust God in the midst of danger, not on the other side of danger. Church, you, me, every one of of us that's a believer, we've got to learn to trust God in the midst of danger, not on the other side of it. We want to trust God when we're sitting on the beach and, and drinking our milkshakes. Man, what an easy place to trust God, right? But if that's the only place you trust God, how miserable is you going to be when you look out from the beach and you see the storm coming to ruin everything? Yeah, that's probably the worst part about a beach, isn't it? The beach is so pretty and so lovely and so great. But you realize when you're sitting on the beach, you can look out and see the storm coming from miles and miles away. And if it comes closer, you'll <laughs> some of us try to ride it out. right? But could you imagine how long you have to watch the storm come your way? But could you imagine if you had spent your time on the beach with the Lord getting ready, then you would never have to run and leave because you could approach the storm and be like, whatever's coming, God's got me. Whatever's coming, God's got me. Now, we talk in that room. There are some times when God tells us to leave, but not this time. Right? Here's what uh, Hebrews 4.12 says. Talk about a person's heart towards God by the way they respond to his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul Spirit, joints, and morrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Not out loud, but ask yourself, how do you respond? How quick do you respond to God's word? How quick do you respond obediently to God's word? Maybe I should, maybe I should go around. Some of us say no to God real fast. No, God, no. 
No. How quick do you obediently respond to God's word? First thing you got to do is just be open to hearing God's word. If you're not open to hearing God's word, you can never respond to it. I can't tell you how many people I know that I grieve for because they just don't want to hear what God has to say. Well, if you're not ready to hear what God has to say, you'll never get what God has to say to you. Right? So, so, so the first thing you got to do is just be open to hearing God's word. The first step in cutting yourself away from God is cutting yourself away from Scripture. Now, sometimes we do it on purpose. Here's the sad part. Sometimes we know that we're in the wrong and we don't like what God's word says. So, so we just, ah, I'm going to stay away from that. Now, I'm just going to read this book because I like what this book says. Right? It, it's Scripture. Yeah, but you should probably read the whole thing because it all goes together. Right? But we do that because we don't like, or... Perhaps it's just negligence and laziness. Sometimes it's just laziness. Sometimes we, we, we just unintentionally get distracted and we got the wrong priorities going on. Whatever it is, the easiest way to cut God out is to cut his word out. So therefore, the opposite must be true too, right? The best way to draw God near is to draw near to his word. Draw near to, to, to people's life. Be open to hearing God's word. Be, be open to even while you're on the road. David received God's word all the time. Today we have God's word through scripture to do that. Be open to hearing God's word. Open your Bible. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Uh, listen to good biblical preaching. Now, sometimes that's scary online because you never know what you're going to get. So you got to check stuff out. OK, but but listen, listen to good preaching of God's word. Grab other books so that you can study it with other people. Right. Ha- have a partner that you can pick up. Hey, man, what do you think this verse said? One of the neatest things our ladies did is they went through scripture this past year is, is they got to hear everybody's input on certain chapters and verses that, that they read through that week. How much more powerful is that? Somebody might have got something out of it that you didn't get. And that could grow you. And, and again, check out what you're reading. There's other books that can help you understand Scripture, too. Some of you think, so. oh, it's just so hard. There's other books out there. There's some good ones. Not a lot anymore, but there's some good ones. Right? So check it out. Worst case, how about just do what we did this morning? We read Psalm 22, five verses, and we had to go back to Psalm to figure out what was going on. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. That, that, that doesn't make sense, right? And, and, and once you do it, how about be quick to obey? It doesn't do you any good to hear it if you're not going to obey it. All right? Doesn't do you any good to read it if you're simply not going to listen to it. You cannot submit to God's authority in your life without obeying God's word in your life. Can't. Can't happen. Right? Let's do what David did, man. Let's serve where we're at. Let's continue to seek God's will through everything. Let's be quick to respond to God's word, even while we're in a cave, a place of loneliness, a place surrounded by walls, a place where we cry out to God and tell God that we are broken and we feel isolated and alone and nobody's there to help us. Why? Because God's delays aren't necessarily a denial. Think about Jesus. Talk about another symbolic thing. Jesus went into a cave. He sure did. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried in this tomb. It, It was dark for the disciples, man. Real dark. Their hopes, their dreams get crushed. Their future plans have just taken over. The, the religious crowd thought Jesus was going to do was buried. But then three days later, Jesus come out. The tomb didn't keep him there. He fulfilled God's plan and he got it done. Sometimes your life's going to seem off course, right? Understand that God's still got plans in the future for you. Understand that God's still working things out for those that are seeking his will and his obedience. Understand this. Here's, here's what I want us to do. Now, this stuff's going to be up there for the whole month. So don't feel like this is one of those pastor courting you in to, to do something. OK, not everybody's called to do this. So there should be people in the seat. I hear pastors all the time. Shouldn't be a seat empty when the altar's open. I, I don't believe that that's true. OK, I think some people should be in their seats and some people should be up here. All right. But but here's what I want to do this month. We talked about the the, the desperate, the, de- the debt, 
and the, what was the other D? The people in bad situations in trouble. <laughs> right? We, we got a lot of, a lot of those symbolically here right now. Now there, there's good stuff going on. You just heard it. They now got solar. They got some water, but, but they need a lot more. They need to get people there. So maybe that's you should be praying over. So there, there's a prayer section. It's going to be cold next week. It hit me the other day when I was praying with the kids a couple weeks ago when we did have a cold spell, not this week, but man, I got a nice warm house. Like even if I get cold in the house, cause I don't like to run up the electric bill, I can put on a hoodie, right? I can even put on a jacket if I need. I don't really have any jackets, but I could, right? These, these guys, they, they don't have that. They're broken. They're in debt and they're in trouble. And, 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 and swallow that crap about, oh, that's the government's job. That's why we pay taxes. No, it's not. Read your Bible. Your Bible doesn't say anything about the government taking care of people. It says believers. It says the church. It says, as a matter of fact, it literally says the church should be doing this. So, so swallow all that. While, good. Good for you for paying taxes. The government ain't doing it. They got some stuff going on, but it ain't their job. It's our job. Maybe you're broken for them. Maybe, maybe you need to get up on the snot altar and pour out. I don't know. But, but I want to tell you right now, there's, there's something God wants to accomplish through these five verses and through the reaction of David to them. And there's something he wants us to understand about his delays. And for each of us, that's a different thing. So grab whatever it is that God's giving you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. God, I thank you for how you can do so much in, in just a short section of Scripture, Lord. And God, I pray that your, your word not return void, God. God, I pray that you speak loud and you speak clear now, Lord God. God, you speak to, to our to our hearts and our mind and our souls, Lord God. God, open us up to receive your word, God. Open us up to, to change the way we handle your delays, the attitude we have, Lord God, when we read your word. God, open us up to be obedient, to doing what it is you've called us to do, where it is you've called us to do it, when it is you've called us to do it. God, help us to, to follow your will and not the flesh's will. And Lord God, in doing these things, God, we, we just pray, Lord God, that your church continues to get stronger and stronger so that we can minister to the hurt and those in trouble outside. In your great name we pray. Amen.